Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Fiber for Breakfast. Um, we're in our 38th episode of 2021. You know, over the weekend, the speaker pushed the vote on the bipartisan infrastructure package from the original target date of Monday, September 27th to Thursday, Thursday, September 30th, which is tomorrow. Tomorrow is also when the surface transportation programs are set to expire. So in short, the speaker is not gonna hold a vote until she knows she has enough votes for this bill to pass. While the bipartisan package still has strong support, it's uh, being held hostage by the $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation plan. We remain bullish on the bipartisan infrastructure bill passing, but the question is whether the speaker will be able to get the vote um, done tomorrow. So stay tuned, let's hope the speaker is successful. With that, let's turn our attention to what I believe is gonna be a very interesting Fiber for Breakfast topic this morning. 10 steps to avoid a cyber breach. And again, good morning and welcome everybody. I'm Gary Bolton, President and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. You know, last time we met with our good friend, Stephen Hardy of Lightwave, who shared with us the results of the recent Lightwave Fiber Broadband Association survey on 10 gig pond. What I found extremely interesting from the survey is that 86% of respondents will either start their 10 gig deployment, add more 10 gig subs, or finish their 10 gigs appointment in the next two years. And 26% of operators already have over half their network deployed with 10 gig pond. You know, wow, that's pretty incredible. You know, operators are building 10 gig networks today, um, which, you know, the cable and industry are continuing to lobby to reduce the required speeds to 100 by 20, which, you know, is pretty disappointing. So this morning, our guests are Chris Cook, the CEO of LOX, and Chris Silvers, the uh, CG Silvers Consulting. Both are cybersecurity experts, and they will share with us 10 steps to avoid a cyber breach. Chris is the CEO of LOX, which is a system integration and professional services firm specializing in cybersecurity, cyber advisory services, IoT, and advanced networking. Chris has 30 years of experience in launching, developing, and building early stage companies. Matter of fact, Chris and I were on a startup together a few years back. Uh, Chris brings forth uh, significant experience in venture capital acquisition, strategy, and global operations. He has been a significant part of early stage technology companies, all which have uh, experienced successful um, IPOs and positive exits. Chris has also been published in IEEE and, and serves on the board at Vigitrust. Um, of Global Advisors and is a member of the FBI's InfraGuard Atlanta chapter. Chris Silvers is the founder and CEO of CG Silvers Consulting, as well as a DEF CON, I mean, I got to read this right, a DEF CON Black Badge winner, because that sounds pretty badass. DEF CON Black Badge winner. I don't know what that is, Chris, but that sounds pretty serious. <laughs> um, so Chris's passion for education and more than 20 years experience and information security have landed him on a presenter stage at conferences such as DEF CON, besides Atlanta, NOLACON, DerbyCon, 
and Gurur Khan, in addition to several professional security certifications, including the prestigious CMMC-3PAO, which again, I don't know what that is, but it must be something really important. And uh, Chris has a bachelor's from Georgia Tech and an MBA. So welcome, Chris and Chris. For our audience, you know, please type in your questions in the, the question Q&A thing, and we'll get to those at the end. So I'll turn it over to you, Mr. Cook. All right. Uh, thank you, Gary. Uh, big thanks to you and uh, for inviting us, and then also to Jennifer and Trish and team for helping us get set up. Uh, I'm Chris Cook, and I'm joined by my partner, you know, Chris Silvers, for this event. Uh, and uh, very special thanks to those of you in attendance. Uh, as Gary mentioned, we're going to walk you through. Um, a few things today, uh, the five most common causes that allow a, a breach to happen, uh, and Chris is going to do that in some detail. And for those of you who can stay till the end, uh, and this is really important, we're going to leave you with uh, 10 practical steps uh, that uh, you can use to protect your business. And um, so with that, you know, regarding this first slide, you know, the headlines are never ending. Um, and uh, these are all things that you've heard. Uh, you know, the colonial breach, uh, no gas for two weeks. Um, uh, JBS Foods, you know, caused uh, widespread meat outages for a while. Uh, uh, T-Mobile and AT&T were the most recent telco breaches. Uh, both north of 50 million records were lost. Uh, LinkedIn, which we all use, has uh, had multiple breaches over the last 18 months. And so if you ever wonder why you get spam calls or spam emails, it's directly related to the LinkedIn breaches. That's 700 million records were lost. Um, Microsoft gets attacked daily. In fact, yesterday they had another breach um, and it's all they're all very different. And then I'm sure many of you've heard about solar winds, but for all of these that make the headlines, there's just many, many more uh, that you never hear about. You know, a tiny library in uh, Indiana, small city in Alabama, uh, but there's thousands of more breaches uh, that you never hear about. And so the thing you need to know about uh, the bad guys who perpetrate this stuff is that they, they go to work every day dreaming up the next attack. They're well-financed and they operate the business much like mafia so like any other organized crime syndicate so you know cyber crime comes in many forms and uh, again chris is going to walk you through uh, much of that but uh, you know ransomware is probably the number one uh, form of it and it's up uh, substantially over the last year and especially this year and we'll highlight and educate you on that and uh, You'll hear a lot about it as one of the most lucrative forms. It's essentially robbery. It's the kidnapping of your data, and it's the extortion uh, of you to get it back. And sometimes they don't even return it, whether or not you pay a ransom. Um, also, uh, you'll hear us talk a lot about your employees, uh, the human element. Uh, they're one of the biggest dangers to you, either through their ineptness or as a malicious insider, as noted above, um, you know, they can become disgruntled and do something bad uh, to you on their way out the door, but 
your people are the weakest link. And so um, we can talk to you about keeping your people trained. And then, um, you know, the other thing is business email compromise uh, is, uh, you know, very, very profitable. Uh, you know, I put an example up here of a small town in uh, uh, New Hampshire that was recently hit back in August. Uh, 2.3 million was gone in less than 90 minutes. Uh, so uh, many, many examples like that. So, you know, every business segment, it doesn't matter the size of the company, doesn't matter what segment you're in. Um, but, uh, you know, since we're addressing the premier carrier service provider trade organization today, um, I, I saw this slide and thought it was worth noting, especially since the um, uh, report was very recent, but uh, the telco service provider segment is, is very much under attack and it was the most attacked segment uh, in the first half of 2021. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, T-Mobile and AT&T were the two most recent attacks. Um, you know, some of you may have uh, cyber insurance, and if you do, you know that it's, uh, uh, you know, rapidly changing. Um, and uh, uh, the insurance industry treated cyber very cavalierly, and uh, over the past several years, they just uh, insured anybody with just a few questions and a quick chat with your IT person. That has uh, completely changed. Um, and by the end of this year, uh, it'll be virtually impossible to purchase cyber insurance uh, because the claim, average claim is now swelled to almost $2 million. And so um, for those of you that are coming up for renewal, uh, it's gonna change dramatically. For those of you that are shopping for it, it may rapidly become unaffordable by the end of the year. Um, it'll still be available, but you know it's risen to become the third largest risk globally behind uh, business interruption and pandemic. So uh, so you know our message is really be proactive and protect you and your business. Uh, and this is probably one of the most important things I'll say today, but as 2022 rolls around, um, it'll be largely up to you. And, and the defenses that you have in place to protect your business. You won't be able to fall back on um, uh, cyber insurance like some businesses were able to do. Um, and so that concludes my portion. I think we may have a, a quick intermediate poll and I'm gonna transition over to uh, Chris Silvers at this point. You know, Chris, what's interesting about this polling question is, you know, I had um, Dr. Doug Thicker, former FCC CTO that did a, and he's the head of VTAG, and they did a study showing on the work from home that, uh, you know, not to use VPNs on your work from home, but to have use uh, basically two factor authentication. Yeah, well, uh, we'll talk about this uh, at the end of Chris's piece, but uh, most of the insurance companies now are requiring um, obviously two-factor and a combination of some sort of endpoint protection for them to even consider writing a policy for you. So, so it, it's interesting you, you mentioned that, Gary, about, about VPNs, and I'll, I'll touch on that in, the, uh, in kind of the fifth section down there about wireless access, for sure. Uh, so um, 
thanks again, and I, and I appreciate the intro, Gary, and, and also um, Chris Cook. Uh, as you can see, our kind of our top five, we, we've already touched on the first two of them. They're, they're that important to be kind of rehashed. Uh, but I also want to talk a little bit about vulnerability management uh, and also social engineering, um, and specifically phishing, or at least we'll kind of start with that base. Uh, but to circle back real quick, um, Gary, a black badge at DEF CON uh, represents free admission for life. So uh, it, it's basically when you win a, uh, any one of a few contests at DEF CON. The one that I won was called the Social Engineering Capture the Flag Contest. And people can look that up and, and uh, see how much fun that is. But uh, anyway, so... We'll, we'll go on to the next slide. We'll dig into uh, to ransomware. All right. So as Chris said, um, ransomware has become, you know, really uh, popular with cyber criminals, um, mostly because it's sort of the gift that keeps on giving. Right. Um, we had a, a, a service provider client this past summer who was ransomed for 15 million dollars. At least that was what, uh, you know, the, the demand was. Uh, they refused to pay it because most of their data was backed up and, you know, they they had um, they felt like they were in a strong position. Well, what they didn't realize was that the attackers still had a presence within their network. So when they refused to pay the ransom, the uh, the cyber criminals just basically encrypted all of their virtual machines. <laughs> and so. Uh, so all of a sudden, all, none of their virtual machines would would boot up, and so it was kind of like, okay, what do you do now, right? It, it became more so a denial of service than a, just a, a lack of access to data. So the the big thing is um, ransomware uh, cyber criminals are well funded, they're or, they're well organized, and if you think that the ransomware attacker just got on your network and then just sent you a ransom note, you're fooling yourself, all right? The average dwell time for these attacks is six months. Uh, and in many cases, that's six months that, that they've just had free reign over your environment. Uh, in fact, this particular service provider, when we went in and did the forensics, we discovered, we, we found evidence that the attacker had been there since 2018, literally three years. So they, so these guys are are recycling victims, and that's that's why I say it's the gift that keeps on giving because you you think you've got them out of your network, you you know you've uh, you've wiped out all the encrypted files, you restored from backup, you know it's just a matter of time if you don't do the forensics and the due diligence, it's just a matter of time for them to come back at you. So let's let's move on to business email compromise now. Uh, and, and again, as Chris mentioned, this is uh, one of those, th this is really one of those most underreported uh, vulnerabilities and, and attack vectors because uh, it's, it's a sensitive subject, right? It, it essentially comes down to, or at least the most common result of business email compromise is a fraudulent wire transfer. That's what they're really going after. You, you hear every now and then about, the CEO sending uh, an email to employees about go get me a gift card for $100 or, you know, and then scratch off the thing and read me the number. That's really small time, right? That's that's what I call ankle biters, right? They, they, these are small time criminals. The real criminals are spending the time to sit 
and watch email conversations go back and forth and then inject themselves just at the right moment when a vendor is sending some information about a payment and they're intercepting that conversation and they're saying, oh, actually, you need to send my payment to this other bank account, right? And of course, the vendor doesn't know that. The, the victim company you know, redirects the payment just like they were told. They think they're doing the right thing. And sometimes it's two or three months beyond that until the vendor you know says hey i haven't gotten paid what's what's going on so believe it or not what we're seeing uh after after dealing with several of these issues over time the real damage is not the couple million dollars that that have gone awry it's the damage to the business relationship that is caused because everybody's pointing fingers everybody's victim shaming and it just gets really messy so we'll go on to the next next subject of vulnerability management. And I know this is not sexy, okay? I totally get this is where the the grind of security management uh, really lives. But it's so valuable, we've got to talk about it. And the first point here is that vulnerability management is not the same as patch management, right? Patch management has been around forever. Many of you uh, answered that you have a security strategy. I'm sure your security strategy uh, at the core of it includes patch management and patch management, meaning the operating system and the operating system, meaning Windows, Microsoft Windows. Right. But vulnerability management is so much larger than that. Vulnerability management includes misconfigurations. It includes default settings. It, it includes weak passwords. You have to consider those items as part of your vulnerability management program and don't just focus on operating system patch management because it's so much bigger than that. I don't know how many times on a penetration test that I'll find uh, uh, some type of unknown asset, right, uh, that the maybe the company didn't even install. They had a vendor come in. I remember one in particular, I found a wireless display device uh, that had a critical vulnerability. Basically, it was just this TV, right, sitting in a conference room. And when you showed up, you could connect to it wirelessly and, and share your screen. You know, very convenient, happens all the time. Well, this particular device had a vulnerability that allowed me to capture the, the root password. It was running Linux, right? So nobody even knew anything about it installed by a vendor um, but because it allowed me onto the network and uh, the ability to install a network capture device otherwise known as the sniffer i could actually capture credentials as people logged into it and uh, and tried to display their screen so um, so we have to look at vulnerability management holistically instead of just focusing on patch management so next we'll go into social engineering um with the next slide obviously my favorite subject um, as as i compete um what's really interesting here is when you say social engineering most people think of a phishing attack and that is true uh email phishing is the most common form of social engineering but it's not necessarily the most dangerous and there there are plenty of other 
uh, ways to to socially engineer your way into a company um, or get access to sensitive information. Uh, first and foremost, there there are other platforms, digital platforms, to communicate by. Right? Has anyone ever heard the term smishing? S M S H I N G. I think is how you would spell that. Smishing. Right? Um, it's basically like email phishing, but it's over text. Right. We, we get text all the time. Right. And if it has a, a link in it, then if you follow that link, it can very well compromise your phone or at least compromise your credentials. There's a, a technique called credential harvesting, taking you to a website that you think is a valid website. You go to log in and then it redirects you to the real website, which you're prompted to log in again. You think, oh, well, I must have mistyped my password. Right. Well, no, you really didn't. You just gave the attacker your credentials. Um, my specialty, uh, other than telephone social engineering, is actually physical social engineering. And I'm actually right now, since I, I'm calling you from a hotel room, I'm actually on an engagement right now. Uh, the, the old saying about a clipboard and a hard hat equals all access, that is true. It's amazing the power of uh, a clipboard. But what has replaced the clipboard is this right here, right? Tell, being able to walk through a building with a phone in your ear and have a pretend contentious conversation with your wife about your children's grades, right? Every man that encounters you in the office will walk away. They'll totally just leave you alone and you'll just walk down the hall, you know, oh, but honey, I think a B is pretty good grade, you know? Uh, it works, it works almost every time. It's amazing. There's also some techniques that we use uh, called a reverse tailgate. So it's essentially when someone is coming out of a door, I am coming in the door. And if I time it right, uh, the reason it's called a tailgate is they don't notice it, right? If they noticed it, it would be called a piggyback. That's the difference in, in terms there. But if I time it right, the, the door, it takes a good two to three seconds for that door to swing closed. And if I can get my foot in it, then I'm gold. All right. So we'll we'll move on. I I can talk about social social engineering just about all day, but we'll move on to wireless really quick. And I want to make a a quick point. Uh, we'll go to the next slide here um, about wireless. As as I mentioned before, uh, the protection here being VPNs, and the the reason that is is that wireless clients are vulnerable. Right, not just wireless networks, but clients. There's a there's an attack vector where if the organization is using WPA Enterprise, that you can stand up a fake access point and convince the wireless client to send their Windows, uh, Microsoft Windows Active Directory credentials to your fake access point. And so it's something that uh, that not many people test for but it certainly should be tested for. So moving right along um, to our, to the, the real, the namesake of this presentation, the 10 things, we'll go to the next slide. Um, the thing, one of the things I hate about top 10 list is that it implies that you either have to do all 10 at the same time, or you have to do them in the order in which they're listed. This is, this could be no further from the truth, right? Um, Every organization is different and they have different priorities. So I wanna point out just two of these 
these particular uh, items to kind of stress on. The first one is number six, have an up-to-date asset and network inventory. And that kind of refers back to the vulnerability management program. You can't, so you can't secure what you don't know you have. And then the second one is to implement and actively practice your written response plan. Those of you with a strategy, I'm sure you have an incident response plan, but how often do you practice it? It's very important to practice it to um, make sure that it's an ever evolving process. All right. And so with that, I think we can, um, we, I'm going to pitch it back to Chris for a few words on these, on these uh, 10 things. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add in my two are, are really uh, number five and number nine. Um, I agree with uh, Chris Silver's point that not everybody uh, from a company size can implement all 10 of these or have the wherewithal to do all 10, uh, you know, straight away. But in addition to his two, uh, number five and number nine in the grand scheme of things are fairly inexpensive to implement. And so everybody should have two factor. Uh, your bank requires you to have two factor. More and more people are requiring you in everyday life to have some sort of two factor. So you're used to it. You know how it works. Uh, it's fairly inexpensive. And then uh, endpoint protection uh, is really um, kind of an easy way to think about it is very advanced generation malware, that kind of thing. And so it's, uh, um, you know, just a much better way to protect any sort of endpoint in the network, you know, laptops, desktops, whatever, phones. And uh, so um, it's the best money you can spend um, uh, to secure those endpoints. And, you know, goes to Gary's point that uh, somebody had mentioned to him that VPNs are, uh, uh, you know, becoming a little bit passe with the exception for wireless, but uh, uh, very, very important to do five and nine along with what Chris mentioned. So with that, I'll turn it over to Gary for questions. Well, thanks, guys. This is actually pretty scary. And, you know, I think about, um, I know that uh, my dad ended up with his business. They got a um, an invoice that said, hey, can you, you know, send this to a different bank? And, you know, it cost him lots of money and you know when his uh supplier came back and said hey you never paid me so uh yeah he saw that first time and i get emails or text messages all the time saying at&t sorry for your service interruption um we're gonna make it up to you click this link and uh you know it just makes you i mean should you never ever click a link ever is that the rule i i hate to say that right um, and, and there's a lot of people in the security industry that say that, just don't click links. But the problem is we all live with links. This is, I mean, you know, I, I have a, I have a Calendly link that I, that I post my calendar on so that people can schedule meetings with me. I, that's just the reality of the world. So I think you, you just have to evaluate links and evaluate the source and things like that. You have to think critically. Well, I wish we had more time because uh, this is a super interesting topic and pretty um, important to everybody because uh, we see this every day in the, uh, I'm definitely going to be very weary, Chris, of any emails from you or uh, social engineering calls because, uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, thanks so much. I really appreciate you guys sharing your uh, knowledge and information with us. Um, 
Hey, next week, um, our topic is going to be the all-important fiber um, network in a gigabit society with Omnia Research Director Michael Phillips. Uh, he's going to discuss the advantages and how fiber is more than just about speed. And we're definitely seeing that now that, you know, now that we're getting into these gig, 10 gig networks, that there's other things that are um, becoming long poles. So you're not going to want to miss that. But thanks, everyone, for taking the time to join us. And we look forward to seeing you guys next Wednesday. Thanks, everyone.